You're listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. It's another great day uh, to read the Bible. Woohoo! <laughs> sounds like a real I, intro. We're, we just finished the first month. I know. So weird today, writing down 2-1-18, but that's the date. That is the date. I just figured out the date. Awesome. Job 19 through 24 is what we're going to consider today. It's day mm-hmm. 31 and 32. 32. Yeah. You've made it. Your first month of reading the Bible. You're a 12th of the way through this. One twelfth, which is great. So mm-hmm. let's get back to our sad and confusing story of Job. Of Job. And we have hit the halfway point of Job. Mm-hmm. Which... Just when you think, do, when you're reading Job, Matt, do you feel like, what more can we cover here? And then I start to feel like, okay, I get it. Yeah. But then there's like little sweet nuances. To the arguments. Yes. It's surprising. Yeah. So today, Job responds to Bildad, mm-hmm. and in the midst of his physical, emotional, and spiritual suffering, the intensity, the full wrath of Satan is being poured out mm-hmm. uh, without the ability to kill Job. Job still has this hope, and this is this is the first place in the Bible where resurrection is themed this explicitly. This Actually, explicit- I, I take that back. I mean, Joseph is brought out of the pit. There's all sorts of death yeah, and so resurrection. Yeah, like themes, but like he... And the promise of it. But Job really gets... You know what? He says it. That's what I'll do. I'll reconnect it to uh, even the Adam and Eve, where the promise that there's a seed of the woman that mm-hmm. will save. So there is this promise of resurrection and restoration. But Job gets it clearly, and he gets it in the midst of suffering. You're right. Chapter 19 has some of the great verses, right? Yes. So chapter 19... Um, I mean, I'm also, just as a side note... Always like when I'm reading Job, going, "Oh, is that what that's where that saying's from?" Like in this one, in chapter 19, he says, "I was saved by the skin of my teeth." I was like, "Huh, I had no idea that that's where that phrase originated." I from. know. I just figured that that sounds like Shakespeare would have come up with that, right? But Shakespeare probably read the Bible, you know, and was the only one reading it and uh, wrote all his stories based on biblical stories. Oh yeah, probably. Um, that's not an official argument. I'm just messing around. Okay, I don't want uh, to get in a legal battle with Shakespeare and his people. So he does say a, f- uh, a few ironic things where he says in verse 23, oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. I'm like, huh. yeah, they will be. They will be, Job. <laughs> they will be. And then in verse 26 is where we get to the heart 25. of this. 25 is the key verse. Oh, you're right. Sorry. Don't miss that. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yeah, because he says, write it down with an iron pen, which mm-hmm. is another great uh, band name. The iron like pen. Like the, the iron pen, that what is written would last We are the ever. iron pen. Well, and, and actually the rest of the verse says they were engraved in the rock forever. So we are iron pen, rock forever. Anyway, we're obviously <laughs> British as well. Right. Um, well but verse 25 is the one you want to memorize in all of the book of Job. It's like probably one of the more famous verses. Mm-hmm. It says, for I know that my redeemer lives and at the last he will stand upon the earth. Yeah, a very clear confession of resurrection, and looking back through the lens of Christ, you see our Redeemer does live, and our Redeemer did walk through death, and at last will stand upon the earth. I mean, he did and will again. Yes. Uh, And then right after that, he says, "After my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God." So then he even goes further to understand, like, after my death, I will be raised again. 
in my flesh, and I will see God again. Right. Which so is awesome. there's no doubt throughout the whole scripture, the idea of resurrection of God's anointed one and resurrection of all those who follow. And that's the hope Job has in the midst of suffering, that mm-hmm. this is not it, that I will uh, see God again. I will see with my eyes shall behold and not another. My heart faints within me, but I will keep looking to the God who can overcome even death, even though I have no logical, it's all faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a beautiful chapter, chapter 19. And Zophar, Zophar speaks and kind of what happens, you know, what happens is Zophar is not really listening. Yeah. He like, kind of misses it. He, I, so this is like a, he's not listening to what Job just immediately said. He got yeah. stuck on a point that Job said earlier mm-hmm. where Job kind of starts to imply or just says like, look, it's clearly like if you just look at nature, Clearly, the good suffer with the bad, and it's kind of arbitrary and whimsical. Where, yeah, we who, don't like, understand who, who suffers and who doesn't. And Zophar is like all of a sudden, like I just had a divine I, revelation. Yeah. Uh, no, the wicked really are the ones who only suffer. Yes. And so he's like trying to prove his point that like oh maybe they will only like exalt for a moment but like no no they're they're the ones that suffer and so therefore job you have to be the wicked one right and you see this kind of mistake fleshed out in our day where um wherever you hear someone saying look you'll always be blessed if you follow the lord and you'll always be suffering if you're wicked and and it's a nice there's some truth to that right Mm -hmm. there's truth like if you commit a crime there's consequences but it's not the whole truth. And today, you might have groups of people who are only looking uh, for evidence of their faith in the blessings they receive. Right. Like, oh, I'm prospering now because I've done good, mm-hmm. which is just as wrong as, oh, I'm suffering now because I've done bad. Right. No, you're suffering because we live in a broken world that uh, rejects God, and, uh, and you're blessed because God has chosen to make himself known to sinner and saint alike. Right. And so, uh, but it's an easy one to fall into because we want to solve the problem. And, mm-hmm. and Zophar wants to solve the problem and he's a little bit uh, offended. So he's like, wickedness always gets wickedness in return. Mm-hmm. And if you're good, it always gets good in return. And that's where he leaves it. He says, this is the wicked man's portion from God, the heritage decreed for him by God. And then Job breaks out in chapter 21 with like an amazing proof. <laughs> it doesn't even, you're halfway through the chapter and you're like, oh man, he's right. Yeah. Because his whole thing is, wrong, Zophar, the wicked do prosper. Open up your eyes. Look around at all the wicked people who are making decisions mm-hmm. and influencing culture. Do you think they care about God for one second while they drive their nice cars and live in their mansions and make their shows? <laughs> I don't know. Um <laughs> But yeah, he goes on and he's just saying, like, look around. The ones who mock, the wicked are blessed. Mm-hmm. They plant stuff and it grows. It, it, he had some line too about how, like, all their farms, well, he had a line about bulls. And it's like their bulls just have an abundance of babies. You know, yes, like they're, they breed without fail. They breed without fail. Like, look at these are people who don't respect God, they don't love God, and they do evil. Mm-hmm. And yet they are blessed monetarily. They're blessed with what looks like peace. We like to imagine they don't have peace, though. Well, you know what? If the devil's not tormenting somebody, 
And he's like, cool, you're no threat to me because you don't love God. Maybe some of these people do actually kind of have a a form of peace where they're able to sleep at night and be like, I'm so rich. Mm -hmm. Um, But the truth is, it's the opposite of what you say, Zophar, that it, it appears in the world people are blessed or suffer has nothing to do with whether they've been good or bad. Yeah. Otherwise... We would all be uh, the kings of the earth. Right. And instead, we are the, the meek. So, I don't know if you agree with that. You agree with, do you agree with that? We look around and see the wicked uh, prosper and yeah, we wonder, why time. do they get it? And it's, you learn this as a kid. Why did I, they do wrong? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, if you're a young man growing up, you may have experienced this, where the girl you like always goes for the jerk. <laughs> it's yes. like, I'm nothing but a nice guy. Yeah. I don't understand. Nice uh, guys finish last. and Yeah, nice guys finish last and all that. And Job would say, hey, man, grow up. You're looking at it all wrong. It's not mm-hmm. a mechanical view. You don't get good things because you're good. Right. You just get to, you're a good person because being a good person is life. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to do with suffering or prosperity, although we recognize everything God does in the end. He will prosper us. But um, all right. That's, I mean, is there anything else to add from chapter 21? Uh, no. So then... We get into, so, so far, his friends, so far, so far, uh, has, so far, they've been trying to find, like, they see Job's calamity, and they're mm-hmm. trying to find the root cause, because Job's sin is not apparent to them, like, he has no obvious sin, there's no, because he's been a righteous man in their mm-hmm. eyes up to this point, and now they're trying to find the root cause. So now we get in chapter 22, Eliphaz he just starts yeah. throwing accusations at Job with no root basis. Like, he's just like, you must have done all of these things. You must be the wickedest man we've ever met. Right. And he just starts listing things that Job has probably done. I know. With no proof. Who hasn't done that in a church context? Woo! I've seen that happen where it's like, well, you probably think this and you probably did that. Mm-hmm. And all you're doing when you accuse other people is kind of exposing your own laundry. Yeah. Because those things occur to you to do and now you think other people are doing them. And so, yeah, he just goes on like you've, you've hurt the widows probably. You've probably stolen. You've probably, you know, we always knew you were wicked. Yeah. So agree with God. And then he says, you know, if you repent, everything will be better. Yeah, it's the same. Which like, he totally missed the point of Job saying, look, we look beyond the injustice of this world, and that injustice doesn't define God's attitude toward us. Mm-hmm. That injustice, we still have faith that God hears us and loves us, and then these guys say, well, you've sinned. They just go back. It's like caught in a, they're caught in a loop. So you just need to repent. And now I will say, if you read chapter 22, there's some great points, though. Yes. Like Eliphaz does make some... <clears throat> He says some truth, and the confusion always is mixed with truth, right? So he says truth. If Job had actually committed these things, right? Like if Eliphaz has actually witnessed Job committing these things, and and so like if like as pastors, like if someone is living in sin, like this would be a great format of a way to approach them and right. go, look, turn from your sins, repent, go to God, and lay it all down, but. When someone's suffering and there is no obvious sin, using this argument against them is only hurtful right. and confusing. What I realized too is um, it's good points, but ministering the words of God 
is a lot about timing. Yes. And understanding who you're talking to. Like he, the time is not, uh, this is not connected to Job's repentance. Like he's already repented. Yeah. And so again, it's like Elvaz is not listening. Mm-mm. He's misapplying law. When, when someone's repented, you get to give them the gospel and you get to give them the assurance that we don't know things, but we know this, God right. loves you and he cares for you. And he will comfort you one day, and we ask for it now. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like so. It's the sh- misapplication of this. The friends should be praying and carrying Job's cry with him to God. Right. And, and really, if you carry it out through the New Testament, if, of course you have Jesus. Like, if Jesus were the Son of God, come off the cross. Mm-hmm. If you were, then don't. Why are you suffering? Because we know good people don't suffer, and so they misapplied it to Christ. But then even Paul, you know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, goes to jail. He's suffering all these things. He gets writing. stoned all the time. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, that's sounding funny. But um, <laughs> he gets attacked all the time by stones. Yeah, so um, whatever. But, you know, when he's writing back to churches to encourage them, many people are, are thinking, why would we accept encouragement from you, Paul? You've obviously failed. Like, what more? Mm-hmm. How more? The biggest way I could fail my family and everybody is to end up in jail. Like, you weren't smart enough to avoid jail, and you're telling us how God will bless it. You know what I mean? It's the whole thing. Yeah. So there is time for repentance, but then there's other times to go, you've repented, and we have to believe the gospel. And that's probably, that's the hardest. That's harder than repenting. True. So um, that's why you'll see some good in the book of Job and be confused. Like, why is that bad? Because it's misapplied. It's the wrong time. And uh, Jesus is humbled to be exalted. Job is being humbled and will be exalted and it's not because he has unconfessed sin at this point. So verse t- chapter 23, he moves on, though. Yeah, so chapter 23, 24, kind of one yeah. complaint. And his complaint is God seems distant. Mm-hmm. Like, you're far away. I so can't talk to you. Where are you? And you've turned your back on me. And I don't know where else to go because my friends are definitely no help. <laughs> <clears throat> the community is turned their back on me. I do, you know, where are you? Yeah. Um, I noted verse 12. Mm-hmm. Yet God charges no one with wrong. Oh, he says, from out of the city, the dying groan. The 24 or 23? Oh, I'm sorry. Chapter 24, verse 12. Cool. From out of the city, the dying groan and the soul of the wounded cries for help. Yet God charges no one with wrong. This kind of typifies, at least for me, I noted it, I think, because... God's not charging anyone. He's not charging the wicked. It looks like he's not mm-hmm. uh, basically saying there's horrible stuff going around, around and where is God? You know, yeah, if God is real, why, justice. Why, why is evil allowed? Why are bad people mm-hmm. allowed to do bad things if God's good and all-powerful? Mm-hmm. And so Job is connecting. That's an argument people like to use when they get a little bit thoughtful about God. Um, they go, oh, I just discovered something. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's the oldest thing in the book to challenge God's authority and love. It's what Satan did, so congratulations. Uh, you know, it's, Job does it. Right. But Job ends up being convinced by faith. So at the end, he's like, look, at the end of it, I know the situation. Mm-hmm. And the situation is, I know nothing. <laughs> yeah. And I'm crying out to you, God, will you hear me? And it seems like in his suffering, in these age-old questions of suffering concerning God, he still believes that God's promises are sure. Yeah. He doesn't know how it's going to work out, where it's going to come from, but he's like, I'm still... It reminds me of Peter. 
where else would we go? Where, yeah. What else am I going to do? My friends aren't offering anything. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so like after, that's what's so interesting is after every argument with his, from his friends, he just turns to God and turns his argument towards God and then his friends just keep cutting in. Right. Which is, last comment on Job today, at least for me. Yeah. When you're going through suffering, notice what is, what is offered. So you have either this faith that God will make things right one day or walk with you through the suffering like his son, or what are the people, what is the world offering you? Mm. So like, what, is it better? (laughs) Like, honestly, when you look at it, there's nothing, there's no better option. It's not like, oh yeah, I'll repent again. I'll fake repent and then things will get good. Or do I just side with Satan to get immediate relief? Right. But then eternal damnation. Like, it's nothing is better. And so all we have at the end of the day is to trust that there is a creator who is good and he has the best intentions for his created kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, what else is it? No one's been able to convince me there's something better. So until then, uh, I want to be like Job. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, poor Job. definitely Job's genre. But we're moving on. We got good news now. Yeah, now we got... Let's move into the good news. Our New Testament reading is Matthew 21, verse 1 through verse 32. So we get to a big moment in the ministry of Jesus. Yeah, so for most of his ministry, he's been uh, in the northern part of Israel in Galilee, and he has been in the last couple chapters, slowly moving his way down to Jerusalem, which is where the temple is. Mm. And in verse 21, or sorry, chapter 21, we now, they draw near to Jerusalem and they come to a town called Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives. And what does Jesus do, Adam? (laughs) Well, I'm glad you asked, Matt. Thanks. Um, Yeah, Jesus says to his disciples, he takes two of them, says, go into town and get a, find a donkey tied up and a colt with her, untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything, just tell them the Lord needs them. So what you see is Jesus is purposely and with intent setting up a triumphal entry mm-hmm. into the holy city of Jerusalem, the city set apart, um, the nation of Israel that has been chosen to carry the promise of the seed of the woman to all nations. Mm-hmm. And now it is time. The nation has been built. Um, everything is set up. The, the king has come, right? The kingdom of God is at hand. And now he's coming into the capital city as a victor. Yeah, as a king. As a king. So in ancient times, if a king was coming into a city, he would either come on a war horse right. or on a donkey. And... On the donkey means peace, and on the war horse means war. Right. Uh, and, and even our parades today, you know, yeah. like you display your military prowess, you show the tanks, the troops, the, the marching band, and you're like, and then you have the leader sitting on a throne, and it's to remind everybody, this is the face that is on your money, this is the face that you need to respect and bow to, and we'll take care of you, and we can do it by power. Right. Now, like you said, or you can have a king who rides in humble on a donkey, and he's declaring, I am a king of peace. Yeah. 
And so, yeah, you could take a shot at the king of peace. He doesn't have a, a protective bubble around his head or guns that will point right back at you. He is there for peace and, and inviting you into peace. Yeah, and so we have uh, Jesus, line of David, from the tribe of Judah, which where all the kings of Judah came from, yeah. is marching in, taking his rightful place as king. This is offensive and crazy on several levels. Right. I mean, first of all, Jesus is reenacting a royal inauguration yeah. taken from kings. If you do a little cross-search on it, you'll see like in Kings, First uh, Kings chapter 1, I think it's... Um, uh, Solomon mm-hmm. comes in on a donkey, yeah. and then you have Zechariah 9.9 where he talks about this is how our Messiah will come, um, humble, and, and he even quotes that, well, behold, your king is coming to you humble, mounted on a donkey. And then I also, I just love it because Jacob, when he's blessing Judah, oh, yeah. references uh, uh, that from the tribe of Judah, there will come a king who will bind his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. And so it's just Ooh. even from Jacob prophesying over Judah. That's awesome. Good find. Yeah. Yeah. So from the beginning, this is like, so Jesus is very intentional. Like, it's not even like he's, I used to think, oh, he's trying to make these things come true, but it's more like, uh, oh, this is what I have to do now. Yeah. So as a, um, as a husband or whatever, I need to go fill up the car with gas. Mm-hmm. And so it's very much like that, you know, or, um. As a husband. I mean, you can actually, there's a new law. You can get gas if you're a husband or not now. Anybody oh, can get gas. Okay. Met. But uh, Jesus knows what's going on. He purposely says, this is my coming out party. And the people respond, you know, like I'm, I'm coming yeah. out to the world. Because remember, I know that sounds funny, but really he's been hiding. Like, don't yeah, tell no, people. he's been super secret about all and, of this. And this is why, because as soon as he announces that he's the king sent from God, the Messiah, it is a coup. Yes. And people will kill him. Yes. Both the Romans will be offended and uh, insecure about it, and so will the Jewish leadership. Um, but the people respond brilliantly. They start rolling out the red carpet. It's Palm Sunday, right? Yeah. Um, and so all the people are like, yes, you're our king. You're going to save us. Hosanna, you know, which means save us. Blessed be the one who comes in the name of God. And, mm-hmm. and it's, they're recognizing he's they're the, calling son him the son of, of David, David. Yes. Who was the best king in the history yes. of Israel. He's the most powerful. And, and he got Israel to be one of the predominant, most powerful nations on earth. Right. During his reign. Right. And so we want the son of David, he will restore us to glory. And Jesus (laughs) does the most, uh, what I think is, I don't know if people think of this usually as a proof for uh, another way that Jesus says he is God, but I see it as his reception of honor and praise and identification as the Christ. And even his recept, uh, he receives being called in the son, the son of David, he receives praise and worship. These are all things that only God yes. should receive. And so his reception of them is him saying very clearly to us and to everybody, yeah, I am the son of God. Mm-hmm. I am worthy of this. I am worthy of a parade. Um, and it is an announcement of a coup. Yes, because the first thing he does right after he, like, where does he march his donkey up to? The temple. The temple. And he assumes complete authority over the temple. Uh-huh. He calls it. He speaks in first person. He says, this is my house. And uh-huh. you've turned it into a den of 
My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Yes. So he's identifying how um, we've corrupted a place where people were supposed to have access to God, mm-hmm. and now they're being manipulated in the name of God. Yeah, and this is in the outer part of the temple mm-hmm. where the money changers are. And that was actually the original purpose for that section was for Gentiles to enter in and offer up their sacrifices right. to God. And so again, like it was to uh, like bring salvation to the world was that portion. But now they, that, now they turned it into like, oh, you have to buy the right things and and it's like a manipulation and taking make advantage yeah. of the of the nations and keep them out. It actually had nothing to do with prayer anymore. It had it, to do with uh, exchange, money exchange. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, so, and he has a zeal for his house because he wants all nations. Like the original plan is that you all would be a light to the world. Mm-hmm. And instead you've gotten in the way. And that's what a prayer for me, honestly, is especially in ministry, God... I don't want to get in the way of your message of gospel and life. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he hears us. But uh, he cleans the temple. Yeah, so he like flips tables and drives I, everyone out. I really like this scene because we always think of Jesus as meek. And he is meek because he could do a lot worse. Yeah. <laughs> like this is he is upset. And he's allowed its righteous indignation. You know, we talk about we try to use this as reasons for I, when we could get upset and I mean, part of the priest and Levite job was to protect the temple and to even use a sword to protect the temple. And so here he's even fulfilling the role of a priest and running through and driving it out to cleanse and protect the temple. And you see his heart, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like my heart is for the people that all nations would have access to God. Mm -hmm. Anybody who gets in the way of that is in trouble. Right. And uh, and rightly so. Well, um, then the chief priests, you know, they don't well, like this. No, so he cleans it out. And then the next thing he does is the blind and lame oh. come to him in the temple and he starts healing them. Yeah. Amazing. So he cleans the temple out and then restores it to back to the, the original purpose, it's which so, is to heal the nations. It's so funny too, because we usually talk about and try to um, justify his anger in the temple, uh-huh. but you never hear about what happens after the cleansing. Oh, all the lame and the blind come to him and he heals them in the temple. <laughs> you know, so we identify with like, oh, I can be angry because Jesus is angry. Okay, cool. Now go heal the lame and the blind because Jesus did that too after his anger. Right. So be righteously angry, but then follow it up with the gospel. Yes. And healing and restoration to God. I love that. Yeah, he restores like, the temple to its original purpose. And that's where the chief priests step in and they're like, what are you doing? Because they recognize. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, Christianity is a subversive movement against mm-hmm. the powers of this earth. Mm-hmm. Don't ever forget that. If you're involved in Christianity at all, realize you're part of the rebel forces. <laughs> you are part of the small group of people who say, whatever power you have is from God, and we worship God, mm-hmm. not you. And people don't like that. And so the priests, though, they understand what's really happening. They don't even, you notice, they don't even say, like, what are you doing here in the temple? No. They understand the root problem, which is how can you let these people say Hosanna to the son of David? Yes. Do you hear what they're saying? Because they know the bigger issue is you are claiming to be God. You are receiving worship. You're receiving worship. That is so blasphemous. There's no one but God. How could you be receiving these praises? And then Jesus responds as the brilliant son of God that he is out of the mouth 
of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. He's like, right. The issue is... The children get it. You don't. Yes. <laughs> the children who need God can recognize him. Mm-hmm. The kids who uh, don't need him... First shall be last and last shall be first. There it is. And then he... Yeah, that's it. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. In fact, it kind of gets to that because uh, following the next day's reading, day 32... You have uh, Matthew 21, verse 18 through 32. There's an interesting scene that is connected to the temple scene, right? Yes, yes. Where Jesus curses a fig tree that is fruitless. Yeah, so he's hungry. He goes over. There's a fig tree. He's trying to find a fig. There's no figs on it. And so he curses it, and it withers up immediately. Yeah. And the disciples are like, what? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and they, they still don't fully understand all of his authority, just like we don't. We have all the written records, mm-hmm. and it's hard to grasp the authority of God's word, the word that became flesh and dwelt among mm-hmm. us, Jesus Christ. When he speaks, things happen. And so when he says to this, you know, he says to the storm, settle down, it does. When he says to eyes, open up, they do. When he says to a fig tree, oh, you're fruitless, you're going to be fruitless forever. Right. You're cursed. And it withers. And- so and then so they're grasping that but then jesus tells them if you have faith and do not doubt you will not only uh, do what has been done to the fig tree but even if you say to this mountain be taken up and thrown into the sea it will happen Mm -hmm. and whatever you ask in prayer you will receive if you have faith again the context is the temple has become fruitless Mm -hmm. that the people who were supposed to produce the fruit of salvation to all nations has dried up and they now carry the curse of unbelief. Yes. And, uh, I, wow, this just got connected for me. Because Jerusalem would be, like in the Old Testament, it's often referred to as the Mount, Mount Zion. Yeah. And so when he says, again, so before it was the Mount of Transfiguration that he, he had said, if you say to this mountain and toss it into the sea. Yes. So he's saying, like, the events of this are easily surpassed by the faith that will be worked within you. So now he's saying, if you say to this mount, Mount Zion, right, uh, move and you can toss this mountain into the sea because we're done with this. We're moving on. That this is, is a, this is fruitless. That is such a great connection because I've always my whole life it's like, why would I want to move a mountain? Mm-hmm. That seems impossible. Oh, I guess I better have more faith and I want to move Mount Rainier mm-hmm. because I arbitrarily want to move it. But you're totally right. This is all about Mount Zion. And the truth is now you all are my temple. We yes. can access God directly through Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit so that the prayers cannot be hindered by the fruitlessness of Mount Zion. And another theme that I've been oh. catching is the mountains, like whenever they're used poetically and like the whole make my path straight, like that kind of language yes. within the Psalms and everything. Mountains are uh, an obstacle. Oh. Uh, like yeah, are yeah, often yeah. referred to as an obstacle. So you are removing the obstacle that's keeping the salvation of God going out to the rest of the world. Wow. So they're removing Jerusalem, which is now the obstacle I, that is being held back. I think you nailed it on this one. I've never heard anybody say this, so this is like fresh off I the press. I just connected that um, right now. If if we prove if we end up being heretics, it'll be surprising, <laughs> um, because this sounds this is great. So he's saying, you can worship me, 
Mm-hmm. The temple is being flipped upside down. Yeah. And the mountain where God always meets his people is being relocated yes. to everywhere. To everywhere. By the work of Christ. It's- because the Son of God has come to earth. The mountain has served its purpose. And now by faith, we can move this mountain, this obstacle to all nations. Yeah. Because it wasn't a specific place. Now it's to all. Thank you, Israel, for carrying this faithfully and, you know, by God's up. grace. But now it's time to shine. Mm-hmm. And so he curses the fig tree and says there's fruitlessness. But what he gives us is faith and yes. faithfulness. And so that's why it's like the gift that we have is faith. And faith produces fruit. Mm-hmm. And it can move all obstacles. And, and it just, it Wow. That's that was great, Matt. I'm glad we had this conversation. It's helpful. Well, then he goes on because uh, the the people challenge his authority. They're like, "What authority are you doing these things? And who gave it to you?" So they're still asking the wrong questions. Right. So he comes back into the temple, which is probably a little bit shocking. Yeah, like he's coming back after yeah. that scene. Have yeah. we not killed him yet? He's it's the next day, and they're still freaking out. So now they're just going like, "What?" <laughs> What are you doing here, and whose authority are you doing it on? Yeah, they just assume, like, you must be in the pocket of some politician or right. Roman to have the nerve to come back here. Do you right. not know who we are? Right. And then they ask him, so why do you do this? And Jesus is our God. He's so great, <laughs> and he is subversive. He doesn't... Look, the thing that hit me as I was reading this this morning is just because other authorities question you about your faith or whatever, you don't have to just roll over an answer and think right. that they're right. You can look at them and ask the same question. I don't know, about what authority are you questioning me? Uh-huh. And that's what, essentially what Jesus does, but he's smart, man. He's so smart. Yeah. He says, um, okay, I'll answer your question if you tell me the answer to this one. By what authority did the baptism of John come from? From heaven or man? Boom. He drops the mic, and those guys realize, so they have to start operating under their authority, which is popularity. Right. That's it. Like right. their authority is that they might not get revoted back into office or that the people will rebel. So they can't say straight up what they believe, which is John was a punk uh-huh. and we didn't repent and we don't think he's from God because the people would rebel. Right. And then they couldn't say, oh, John was from God because then they know Jesus would say, well, so am I. Yeah. Or then why didn't you believe John when he said yeah. he was? <laughs> well, that's exactly, he says, if that's what they're saying, like, why then uh, did you not believe him? And then the P.O.R., so it's like, why didn't you believe him? They have to answer that question. Yeah, beautiful. And because they say, we don't know. Yeah, that's like they decide like the safest answer is just to play dumb. Which is so great because they're, they're physically saying, we don't know, which is we don't have the authority to know. We don't know anything. Or our authority is not secure enough to actually say what we believe. Right. Wow. We can't that even announce a, what we believe. That leads to a whole other way of life. Like, yeah. does God have enough authority in our life that we can speak boldly? That hurts. Oof. So when I'm waffling or I'm trying to be cool, uh, I don't want to make people not like God or anything. It's like maybe we have a, an authority issue mm-hmm. that God can protect us even when we believe unpopular things. So then Jesus smartly replies, well, if you don't know, then I'm not, if you can't answer my question, I'm not going to answer right. yours. I'm authorized to keep this information from you. Yeah. Good yeah. day, sir. You're on a need-to-know basis, and you don't need to know. Then he gives a parable. <laughs> you know, I'm seeing the flow of Matthew. Like, you have real-life events. You have, uh, there's like the, 
the academic part of it, and then uh-huh. it's always followed up by a parable as if God knows we need stories. Yes. And so he gives a great story about two sons, and this will be the last thing we, we look at in, in Matthew today. And he says, there's two boys. One boy, both boys, I say. Let, let me just change it up a little bit. To both boys, he says, go clean your room. Mm-hmm. One boy says, yes, father, runs away and does everything but clean his room. Mm-hmm. The other son throws a fit and says, I don't want to clean my room, but then goes and cleans his room. Right. So then he says, he asks, he asks his, his boys there, uh, what do you think? Which of the two did the will of the father? Mm-hmm. And they all say, um, the one who threw a fit and then cleaned his room. Right. He's like, exactly. I say to you, tax collectors and prostitutes, go into the kingdom of God before you. See, like they rejected it early on as Canaanites and mm-hmm. all these people. They're like, no. But now they recognize their need and they're coming. They're mm-hmm. cleaning the room. Mm-hmm. Whereas many of the Jews are having a harder time because they said yes early on, but they are not cleaning the room. Yeah, they don't actually want to do the work. He says, for John came to you in the way of righteous and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. I mean, don't miss the language, tax collectors and prostitutes. Like Jesus is in his last week of earthly existence here before he's crucified, and he's being very clear now. Yes. The first shall be last, the last shall be first. This is about faith. Faith produces fruitfulness. If you are faithless, your mountain will be moved. Yes. All right. Good stuff. So we are moving to Psalm 18. Uh, is it Psalm 18, verse 6? Or is it yeah. 1 through 6? Um, that I don't know, Matt. Let me, let me see. Psalm. One through six. All right. Cool. So. One through six. I'll get the Proverbs. I'll get the Proverbs going. Yeah. I'm just going to read it. Do it. Can you uh, get some music back in me? Thank you. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress I called upon the Lord, to my God I cried for help. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Beautiful. Yeah, that is really helpful especially when we're reading Job yeah crying out to God in your distress and knowing that he hears you in Proverbs chapter 3 verse 25 do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught boom you've just been fed by ravens thanks for listening Go in peace and serve the Lord.